You're listening to Monster of the Week with Timothy from ProDM. And this week, we are back on that demon train. I don't have a pun for the beginning of the episode, but if I'm honest, uh, these four demons are Tanar really my favorite demons anyway. I'm so sorry, it doesn't even make sense! You can find the demons on page 53 of the 5th edition Monster Manual. This week we have another four demons to get through, kind of our upper middle tier demons, our types 2 through 4. We're going to try structuring this one a little bit differently. Rather than doing the normal five sections of summary, history, positives, negatives, improvements, we're just going to tackle one demon at a time, do the whole thing, then take a break, then the next demon, then the next, then the next. I feel like last episode felt a little bit disjointed, jumping between all four demons in each section. So the four demons we're going to tackle today, we have the Hezro, the Glabrezu, the Yoklal, and the Nalfeshni. So we're going to start with the Hezro, which is a CR8 large fiend. Basically, it looks like a big, horrible, loathsome toad. Uh, they're described as the dumb foot soldiers of the Abyss. Uh, they've got good stats, except for 5 intelligence, normal demon resistances, they've got magic resistance, multi-attack with a bite and a claw, plus a stench power that poisons you. Where have we seen that before? The Hezro's first appearance is in the 1st edition Monster Manual, and this is a common thread among a lot of demons in 1st edition, is they have a lot more kind of random magic powers. We're talking about darkness and levitate, cause fear, even telekinesis. The stench doesn't show up until 2nd edition, along with this concept of a dark walk, which is pretty cool, where they can like occasionally, like once a year, plane shift to the mortal plane. Uh, and they offer up their services to mortals for supposedly a heavy toll. They are much more powerful in 3.5 with a higher CR. They've got a pile of spell-like abilities that include things like Chaos Hammer and Blasphemy and Unholy Blight. They've even just got straight-up Teleport. 4E made them even more powerful, clocking in at level 22. But in terms of powers and abilities, they really only added this concept of Demonic Step, which just allows them to ignore difficult terrain, but has a cool description of them, like, phasing through it. Really interesting, not a lot of lore given to explain why they have this power. Now, in 5th edition, there's not tons to recommend them. My, my favorite thing about them in 5e is probably their specifically low intelligence. It gives them kind of an interesting mechanical vulnerability. you got to be careful, you know, with any monster that has, like, all monsters of this type are pretty dumb. But I think with demons, it's one of the few instances where you can really get away with that. Like, again, because they're beings of pure evil who don't really have free will, it's not so problematic to say that all Hezrao are kind of, you know, knuckle-dragging idiots, unlike something like a goblin or a cyclops or whatever. In the case of a demon, yeah, that kind of checks out. There's no mechanical weakness they necessarily have, but with that low intelligence, you can imagine them being duped very easily. Now, the downside to the Hezrao is I feel like we basically already have this power. Is there really a huge difference between the Hezrao and the Dretch? I feel like the Dretch you described is kind of like dim-witted cannon fodder, that fights in huge hordes and has a stench power, whereas the Hezro is described as sort of like dim-witted foot soldiers that fights in a huge crowd and has a stench power. Like, they're more challenging. They're a CR 8 rather than a CR, like, one quarter. But there's really not a lot here that's interesting or unique about the Hezrao that would make me excited to run them. 
So how then would you fix it? How would you improve this demon? In addition to giving it the abyssal hunger that we've talked about in previous episodes, I think the only thing from its past that I think is interesting is this concept of the dark walk. Like, what if the Hezrau kind of playing into that toad idea can sort of magically leap between planes or sort of teleport? Maybe it goes ethereal briefly, kind of like phasing ethereal for a, a turn and then popping back in. It would make them like much more unpredictable to fight. I feel like that makes more sense for a toad be kind of leaping in and out of combat, even sort of, you know, metaphysically, than it does for an upcoming demon that has a teleport power, uh, the Nalfeshni. Great, so that is the Hezrau. It's, it's not a particularly interesting monster, so there's not as much to say about it. But next up, we're going to talk about our next demon, which is a lot more interesting, and that is the Glabrezu, coming up next. The Glabrezu is a CR9 large fiend, and they are definitely one of the weirdest looking demons. They're sort of like a, you know, large bipedal goat dog with four arms. Uh, the, the top two arms are like super muscular and end in these giant pincers. The bottom two arms, by comparison, then look kind of thin and emaciated and end with, you know, a four-fingered hands. Lore-wise, uh, Glabrezu are described as being the most likely to serve mortals, who so kind of enjoy tempting them, usually with riches. Mechanically, they have 40-foot speed, incredible ability scores all the way across, incredible saves, normal sort of demon resistances. They have true sight. Uh, they have innate spell casting with a pile of uh, spells, things like darkness, detect magic, dispel magic at will, and then once per day, confusion, fly, and power where it's done. They have magic resistance. And then they have multi-attack, where they can make four attacks, two with the pincers and two with the fists. Alternately, you can make two attacks with the pincers and cast one spell, which is kind of a nice way to get some of that spell casting in there. Uh, the pincers, of course, can can grab a target. Now, the Glabrezu also appears in First Edition's Monster Manual, and it's got the same kind of things the Hezrau had. It has darkness and fear, levitate. It's even got polymorph. Now, that spell list absolutely explodes in 2nd edition. It, they add things like Burning Hands and Charm Person and Confusion, Detect Magic, Power Words Done, some of the stuff that we see later. But that, I think, in 2nd edition is really where they lock into the idea that the Glabrezu is sort of like the spell-casting demon, which is interesting, but never something they really, like, make their minds up about. In 4th edition, they gave them these cool powers that have, like, you know, words, like Blasphemous Word that dazes the target, and Chaos Word that ignores resistance, so it's kind of like speaking these blasphemies, which is cool and feels very demonic. Now, my favorite thing about the Glabrezu is I, it's just such an iconic, weird look. Like, this is one of the most Dungeons & Dragons demons to me, because it's got these big doofy pincers, these little hands. It's just such a strange, memorable-looking monster, but also sort of classic in a way, right, where it's got the horns and it's got the claws. It's uniquely Dungeons and Dragons, but you always recognize it as some kind of a fiend. There's also an interesting dichotomy in that, that they have these big, muscular arms, you know, that are good for attacking, and then these smaller arms. It's never exactly stated, but I always like the idea that the spell casting is done by these smaller arms, sort of like these sort of clever sort of somatic hands that do all the spell casting, whereas these big, chunkier arms are there to attack. They talk about in the lore that the Glabrezu is just as intelligent as it is strong, and that it actually usually prefers to spell cast and to manipulate rather than relying on its strength. Which is interesting, but they never really talk about why that would be, and it doesn't feel particularly demonic. To me, demons are all about chaos and carnage, right? So why are they trying to manipulate and cause chaos through agents, especially when they look like this? 
which kind of leads into my negative is I feel like there's all this talk about them using like riches and wealth to tempt people, but they don't, there's nothing in their appearance or even really in their mechanics that kind of plays with that, right? All their spells are, are either utility things like detect magic or dispel magic, and then a little bit of offensive power with like confusion or, or power where it's done. But if they're manipulators, they're not trained in persuasion. They're, they're not, a spe- they're, they're charismatic-ish. They got plus three. But it's hard to look at it at this demon and think, ooh, I'm tempted by that offer because it's this big loathsome goat monster, right? It feels like they're, they're at odds with that concept. This is a little weird and outside the kind of lore of the monster, but my improvement would maybe be to kind of take inspiration from maybe like the Etten or the Flesh Golem. What if you kind of compartmentalize the Glabrezu sort of into two different tactics, right? That if you gave it some more solid manipulation powers, you could have the Glabrezu start out every interaction, you know, more intellectually, more about persuading and tempting and stuff. But then if it takes damage, you know, if it gets bloodied, then it kind of switches modes into the sort of like bruiser mode and then it just wants to kill. Kind of a Jekyll Hyde thing might be kind of interesting just to, to play with this this dichotomy that's clearly in the monster. You know, you don't want to go so far as to say they have like, you know, two heads or like a head on their chest or something. But some kind of a nod mechanically to this sort of duality I think would help sell the concept a little more because right now, if I look at this thing, I'm not thinking about it being a tempter. I'm thinking about it being a bruiser and that's the only way I would run them. So if you reinforce this manipulation element with maybe some deception, maybe some persuasion and a couple more spells that might might lend the demon in that direction, then I think you could play with sort of both sides of that coin. Great, and that's the Glabrezu. Uh, next up, we're gonna talk about probably the weirdest demon that we have, we've talked about so far and that is the Yawklaw. Uh, coming up next, Yoklal, Yoklal, we'll find out. Yeah, the Yoklal is definitely the weirdest demon in the 5e Monster Manual. This is a medium-sized sort of melted candle-like monster with one giant eye. They are devoted to Lolth, but they spend most of their time in a different form, either that of a giant spider or of a drow. Uh, This is a CR-10 medium fiend. Uh, They've got pretty good stats, about comparable with the Glabrezu. They've got good saves as well, trained in deception and insight, normal demon resistances. They've got magic resistance. They've got shape changer, which, as I said, allows them to turn into a female drow or a giant spider. Uh, They have spider climb. They have some innate spellcasting. They can do detect thoughts and web at will, and then once per day, dominate person. And then they have web walker, you know, another classic uh, sort of spider power. Their attacks are odd. They have a slam, or described as a bite in spider form, that deals X amount of damage. And then if they're in spider form, extra poison damage. But they have to kind of like, the attack has to share the stats for both attacks. It's very strange. And then they also have a, a mist form, which is functionally, which is functionally like gaseous form, but it can also uh, poison uh, any any creatures that start their turn in the space. So it's a little bit of a cloud kill, a little bit of a gaseous form kind of rolled up into one. The Yoklal is more obscure, I think, than some of the other demons we've covered, especially today. Um, they appear in first edition's Monster Manual two, and they appear primarily as gas, but they can take the form of a spider or a drow or, you know, this weird column of yellow goop. There is, in 2nd edition, though, there's an interesting lore piece uh, that they are actually outside the normal sort of demon cosmology, that they are kind of hand-chosen and transformed by Lolth, and they're often referred to as her handmaidens. So I guess the implication is that they're female, but they're sort of 
you know, genderless blobs of melted wax. So what is gender to a demon? As far as I can tell, they didn't appear in a 3.5 monster manual, but instead were kind of scattered across various supplements like Monsters of Faerun or Expedition to the Demon Web Pits. In 4th edition, they appear in Monster Manual 2 with this very messy stat block that tries to kind of serve all these different, you know, masters. The fact that it could either be a drow or a demon or a spider. It also includes a very cringy, seductive glare power that they can only use as a drow uh, that kind of stuns a target and feels like something out of 2nd edition rather than 4th. Now, my favorite thing about the Yonkalal is probably that bit of lore, this notion that they are outside the kind of main demon hierarchy. I think it's an idea they could have explored more, the notion of certain evil gods plucking demons out of the abyss like like a crane machine and then turning them into their personal servitors, right? I think that's a really neat idea and something we could have we could see more of. Like definitely Lolf is doing it here, but what about Tiamat? You know, what about Bane? What about Merkel? Well the idea of some of these classic evil DD gods having their own personalized demons is actually pretty rad. My least favorite thing about the Yaklal, though, is how confused every version of it seems to be. Because it can take on these three different shapes, it really feels like they're trying to cram all of these different things into the monster stat block. And it's just very at odds with itself, and it's just not particularly well designed. You know, it's got these powers like Spider Climb and Web Walker, but it's hard to imagine this, like, shifting roper-like pile of goo walking along a web like I think it's implied to only be in the spider form but you look at their slam attack which is literally two different attacks crammed into one action and they're they're at odds it's like reach five feet ten feet in demon form one target this much damage this much bludgeoning damage piercing in spider form uh, plus this much poison damage this is going to be controversial but my improvement for the yaklo is just going to be to make it a spider like, I think that's what it wants to be. Most of its powers are kind of spider-related, and there is a big gap, I think, in upper-level play for a giant spider monster. There have been, you know, creatures like the Bebelith and the Retriever uh, in previous editions that are more spider-like, but I think just saying the Yaklal is a servant of Lolf that appears as a big loathsome spider. You know, you could give it ten legs or make it kind of goopy, but if you want to make it more demonic, please do. But I think having it shape-shift in between these various forms is just weird and confusing and too much. I've never wanted to use one for that reason, and I think if it was a giant spider, I would just understand its concept a lot more. So that's my recommendation for the Yuklal. Wouldn't probably change much mechanically, but I think just the presentation of it as being, this is a spider, that's what it is, let's move on, is stronger. Great, that means we have one demon left. Next, we're going to talk about the Nalfeshni, the most powerful demon, and maybe the weirdest? I feel like I've said that about every single demon. The Nalfeshni is a sort of corpulent boar ape with these little cartoonish flappy wings on their back that loves to eat specifically humanoids. Uh, they are a CR 13 large fiend. Uh, they have great stats, great saves. Uh, they've got the normal demon resistances. They've got true sight like the Glabrezu, magic resistance. They have multi-attack with their bite and claws. They've got a 5-6 recharge power called Horror Nimbus which sounds awesome, but it's just basically a fear effect. And then interestingly, they have a teleport 
uh, as an action. They can magically teleport up to 120 feet to an unoccupied space you can see, which is interesting. I think it's the first time I've seen teleport as an action, uh, which is cool and gives them some interesting tactical options. Like the Hezrao and the Glabrezu, the Nalfeshni appears in the first edition monster manual, and it's got many of the same powers that they do, but they also have a cool note about their names, which I think is really worth mentioning. There's not a lot about demon names here in this section. Maybe that's more associated with devils, but true names, I feel like, are always a big part of demon lore, and I'm not seeing much about them in the lore presented here. So the Nalfeshni kind of mentioning it is, is interesting. In second edition, they have a big pile of spells, um, and lore-wise, they're almost the second most powerful type of demon. They consider themselves more intelligent than Baylors, and they're called, like, the Lords of Woe. So they're much more kind of, like, masterminds than they are just kind of big infantry bruisers, which is how they're presented in 5e. The 3.5 Nalfeshni is weird, they have an ability called Smite, but it basically just creates a nimbus around them that dazes people. Definitely the origin of the horror nimbus, but it's not what the word Smite means, so very strange and confused. In 4e, they show up in the Monster Manual 3, and there is just tons of lore all about their history and about Tharzadun and the waddling legions and all of this stuff that's like cool, I guess, but not particularly engaging. Uh, they're presented with two different types. There's the Swine Guard and the Tyrants. Um, they, and they each have, like, slightly different abilities, neither of which is especially juicy. Uh, one has, like, a bloodied power that stuns, and the other has more kind of blasphemous words, like the Glabrezu. Now, my favorite thing about the 5th edition Nalfeshni is probably that teleport power. Um, it's one that's all over 4th edition, but we hardly ever see it in 5e. I think it it's a little sucky that it's an action, because I feel like, you know, the action economy on that's a little weird. But it is cool to see it, because I think it can really change the way combats work. It's a great way to get out of you know, the kind of melee pileup that a, a monster like the Nalfeshni might be in. Um, so it's cool to see it. I wish we saw it on more monsters, frankly. And then my least favorite thing is that conceptually, again, this monster's all over the place. Their lore talks about them being kind of like, you know, tyrants and overlords, uh, the lords of woe, which I think are, is pretty cool. But then mechanically, they're just kind of big sacks of hit points that punch people. You know, they can bite and claw. Horror Nimbus is a cool name, but mechanically, it's pretty boring. I feel like it's basically just Frightful Presence, which fear is already such an unfun thing to happen to a player character that the last thing we need is like more of it. So uh, I feel like there's got to be a more interesting way to do this. So my suggestion for the Nalfeshni would be to redesign Horror Nimbus to kind of have it live up to its name. You know, maybe it sows chaos and destruction. Maybe it forces everyone inside to make attacks against each other or has a confusion effect or something like that. Like the horror of it, right? Like revulsion and, and chaos rather than just like, oh, I'm scared. I, I just feel like Frightened is not very fun to play, whereas like sowing the idea of them running into the front lines if they're going to be kind of bruisers and then hitting this thing and having the enemy kind of turn on itself is more interesting than having them run away from you right and it's, got, it's just such a cool horror nimbus is just a metal band name you know and that's it that brings us to the end of our third episode on demons we have one left so hold tight folks just three more demons to go that's the Merilith, the Garistro, and then, of course, the Baylor, the Big Daddy Demon. Coming up, not next episode, but the episode after that. I believe next episode we are talking about the Demi-Lich, which is another interesting high-level monster that I can't wait to duck into, so that'll be next time. Come join us this Thursday at 2 p.m. PST as we redesign these four demons uh, to make them more interesting to run, kind of incorporating these notes and probably innovating some new ideas as well. We would love to see you there. But until then, thank you so much for listening. I don't have any more puns about Tanari, and happy adventuring.
Monster of the Week is a ProDM production. You can follow us on Twitter at ProDMTimothy. If you like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Even $1 a month gets you access to the redesigned monsters that we discuss here on the show. You can find us at patreon.com slash prodm. You can catch those monster redesigned streams Thursdays at 2 p.m. PST on our YouTube channel. The music used in this episode was Rainbow Ride and Waves by Azure Flux, used under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike Creative Commons license. Check out their work at azureflux.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening.